welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people. The whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appétit! So from James chapter 1. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, give us your spirit once again, your spirit of illumination, that we would understand this, your very word. Father, we are flooded with words in a season like this one. Help us to hear your word. Help us to hear your voice and be properly formed. Jesus, thank you that you are pleased to meet us by grace. No matter who we are, no matter where we've been, you're happy to say, here is grace for you. I have died for your sins. Lord, renovate us. Renovate our world. Be with us now. As we look to you, we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. So when our COVID pandemic began many months ago now, most of us were thinking as we engaged what's going to happen to our world that the economy was going to go really, really badly globally as coronavirus spread everywhere. People were saying, may as well get Sam Hankey for this job because our economy is just going to go completely into the tank. That didn't quite happen. Yes, things have not been great. Uh, Job loss, unemployment is way up. And here at Liberty Collingswood, whether earlier on or now, there are many of us that are facing job loss and job insecurity in various ways. That's true. And industries have been hit. So travel industry, hospitality industry, the arts industries, in various ways have been very adversely uh, adversely affected by this pandemic. But that's not the whole story. On the other hand, some businesses are doing very well. If you happen to have owned stock, for example, in Zoom in January and February, we should hang out more. I would love to hang out because you have a ton of money right now. Let's go spend it in socially distanced ways. More generally, in the tech industry, big tech is by and large doing really well right now. And home improvement. A lot of us have been improving our homes in various ways. A couple weeks ago at the Anger household, we had a plumber come on through. I had done 95 to 98% of the plumbing work myself, just wanted to bring the plumber in to look at a couple of things, and he said that business is great. That's where people are putting money right now. And there are some other industries, too, that have been going pretty well, all things considered. And let me call these the indulgence industries. So, other businesses that have been going up related to things like substances, sex, and shopping. 
And granted, they are created goods from God, woven into substances, sex, and shopping, so it's not all bad all the time, but let's agree that we can take these things too far, and we do. They're going up. You've heard it said, we've said it here at Liberty Collingswood, that alcohol sales during pandemic are through the roof when it comes to online sex, pixels, credit card, that's all you need. And discretionary shopping also way up over this pandemic. We are stuck at home, and the one-click buy-it-now sorts of options are so incredibly easy just to click on yes. So we're moving in these directions. Why? Why are we indulging in these indulgence industries? Well, I think we're bored. I think we're frustrated. I think we're just being worn down. And it's easier for us, too, to press buy and to click through these experiences because these are the sorts of things that we do alone. And it's easy to hide them, to start playing a shell game like this. Don't look at what I'm doing over here. Look at what I'm doing over here instead. And these bad habits, this going too far, is gaining momentum. And at the beginning of pandemic, again, back in March, there were plenty of preachers, myself included, that said, hey, this pandemic might be here a little while. Why don't you go ahead and not let yourself go? It was the liturgical season of Lent that had just started, so I preached a couple of sermons on just that, not letting yourselves go. As I think back upon it, how quaint it was that I and other pastors were asking the question, Pandemic is going on right now, but will we be able to open full speed ahead, 100% reopen by Easter? Now, in our infinite wisdom, we were correct about Easter, but maybe wrong about the year. This has been a long time. Is it possible that we have been letting ourselves go a little bit more? And what about for you? What bad habits have been multiplying? And there have been various think pieces, blog posts, articles, by this point, books that have examined the pandemic in this way, asking this question. Is our experience of pandemic, is that for us now and into the future an interrupter or an accelerator? An interrupter or an accelerator? Is this pandemic just disrupting and interrupting everything that we're doing Or is this pandemic taking some trends that were already well afoot for us and in our nation and in our world and saying they're going to go even faster? Obviously, it's both. And for our bad habits, doesn't it seem like the pandemic has just pressed the nitro button on so many different things? And here in our cultural moment, It's true. We spend a lot of time talking about health and wellness and self-care. All good things. All good things that we should pursue. Yes, let's be healthy. Let's have good mental health. Let's practice good self-care. I wonder sometimes, though, what does the church have to add to our world for these conversations? What else can the church say? Hey, here are some helpful things, too. And why don't you try these categories on for size? Here are some things from the Church of Jesus Christ that can help us right now. Let's think about stuff like temptation. Let's think about stuff right now like sin. 
Let's think about stuff right now even like, and we'll unpack these in just a minute, the seven deadly sins. How does that sound to you? If you're somebody who's new to Christianity or just exploring, you might think, wait a second, that sort of sounds like the deep end of the swimming pool right there. I'm so on edge, I'm so anxious, I'm so angsty right now. I don't want to talk about temptation and sin and the seven deadly sins. However, as we access these things through Scripture and by Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, these are things that actually can really help us right now and bring us into a better place. In fact, that's why Jesus died and rose again. And not only that, it's the case as well that the church is able to add as an ingredient to these conversations itself, the church. Here at Liberty Collingswood and in churches around the world, we have a growing group of people committed not only to Jesus, but to each other, helping us work out life change by the grace of Jesus Christ all together. And so let's talk in two parts from here this morning about temptation. Let's talk about temptation and anatomy of temptation, but then also a strategy for dealing with temptation. Temptation, anatomy, and then strategy. So here we are this fall at Liberty Collingswood. We are emphasizing for this ministry year, the school year community. We really, 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 really need community connection right now because life is so crazy. We're emphasizing that as well in the sermon series and tying the sermon series to a book by a guy named Rusty George, Better Together, Discover the Power of Community. And this Sunday, we're talking from chapter 8, Temptation is Conquered Better Together. Temptation is Conquered Better Together. And like I said a moment ago, temptation, kind of a churchy word, yes, There's no way around that, but it's a good word, and let's agree, too, that there are aspects of our lives right now, whether we call ourselves a Christian or not, where we are going too far. We're going too far. We're pressing across boundaries that we know are healthy for ourselves. We say, I am too worn down. I am too bored. I'm too frustrated. I'm just going to do it. And what's aiding and abetting that as well during this pandemic is that these are habits that grow in the dark. We're able to do them by and large alone and keep them hidden and play that shell game. But one of the things that is so striking to me about the Christian story as we find it in the scriptures, the Old and New Testaments, is that even though this is such an ancient library collection of writings, it feels so correct and so current as the scriptures contemplate the human person. The Bible teaches us that as human beings created by God, we are creatures full of competing desires. We're creatures full of competing desires. Let's go back to one of my favorite 20th century novels, Henderson the Rain King by Saul Bellow. And in that book at the beginning, our hero says that there is this ceaseless voice in his heart by which he says... I want, I want, I want, oh, I want all of these desires welling up inside of us at various times, and we act in the direction of whatever that primary driving desire is at a given time. Now, Saul Bellow, the author himself, was not a person of faith, as far as I have read, 
but he knew a good bit of the Bible. I wonder if he was familiar with the book of James. James is a New Testament book written about and after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. And it's believed that the book of James is by a person, yes, named James, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem and the brother of Jesus. Not just any brother, you know, in the church we call each other brother and sister, but actually flesh and blood, son of Mary, brother of Jesus. And I chuckle to myself whenever I think about that. Just imagine if you're James on a Sunday morning, first century Jerusalem, newcomer, comes to church, you start small talk, and the newcomer asks you, hey, James, do you have any brothers and sisters? And I could just imagine James saying, let me tell you, here's a story for you. But we find in the first chapter of the letter of James a strikingly accurate, to my eyes, description of how we're wired as human beings. James 1.14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. I want, I want, I want. Oh, I want. And I love the word that James uses here when we, men and women, are lured by those desires and those desires gain strength. Beginning of the next verse. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. It gains momentum, and it can go too far. In the language of the scriptures, we can go against and across what God prescribes for us in his word, and it just builds and builds from there. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Isn't it the case that for our bad habits— they have this habit of multiplying and gaining momentum and ending up damaging and hurting other people. We'll try to hide them. We'll try to shell game them a little bit. But it ends up causing damage, deathly damage. And isn't that true for you? What are some of your going too far sorts of things? What are some of your temptations to various sins? And when we do cross those lines, when we do go too far, there are a couple common excuses that we'll use when those things happen. And they're common excuses, but they're probably not good ones. When we mess up, when we sin, we can tell ourselves we're going to either overly detach or attach to those things. Overly detach. I mess up, and I'll say, oh, wait a second, that wasn't me. That wasn't me. Yeah, I did those things, but it wasn't me. Understand, when we say that, it makes sense from an emotional perspective, but logically, it doesn't make any sense at all because we are the ones that have done those things. And if we have this tendency to say, it wasn't me, how fragile is our identity? How fragile is our sense of self that we just can't abide this thing that we ourselves did? We're afraid to own our own mess. That's detaching, wasn't me. But then on the other hand, we can attach. I can't help it. I try a little bit, but at the end of the day, when I think I'm going to go too far, I go too far. That is me to the extent there is nothing that's not me that is not so wound up in these things. We overly attach. But when that's the position that we're in, we're stuck. We're defeated. And so I'll ask this question too. What's your go-to tendency when we mess up? That wasn't me, or I can't help it. Or maybe you bounce back between those couple of things. We are tempted, and we fall into sin, 
Yes, even the deadly ones. And know your own pattern. So the seven deadly sins, that's a phrase that still has some currently in culture. It developed in the early ancient church, used primarily by the Roman Catholic Church over the years, but it's a common property of the church around the world, Protestant, Catholic, Orthodox, anybody. And you can go ahead and Google them. I'll, I'll mention them here. But think about them, as I say, and feel free to spend more time online engaging these concepts. What are the seven deadly sins? They are pride, greed, and lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, and sloth. And they come from an earlier era and even have some old language woven in there. But as I was preparing for the sermon, I thought, this is us right now. And these seven deadly sins, they not only label and name so much of what we're doing right now, but they are accelerating. Like I said, we're pressing the nitro button on these things. Just double-click briefly on these seven deadly sins. Pride. We are creatures full of pride, and increasingly so. Something as simple as masks. Welcome to Mask Wars 2020, when we can feel so much pride to people either that do wear masks or don't wear masks, or when they wear their masks, or how they wear their masks. Pride. And in the election season, probably many of us felt pride, and if we're honest, even some superiority towards other people that had different views than us. And we might say, But yeah, we were right. And yeah, it's good to have opinions about right and wrong. That's healthy. But then we take it a step further and say, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm better. And you are worse. But pride is something that can separate us from real community with other people, especially outside of our tribe and across lines. D.H. Lawrence was an English author who wrote a book called Sons and Lovers. And this is how he describes a couple of the main characters. Ordinarily, ordinary folk seem shallow to them, to these characters, these two brothers, trivial and inconsiderable. And so they were insolent in their superiority. Then beneath was the yearning for the soul intimacy to which they could not attain because they were too dumb. And every approach to close connection was blocked by their clumsy contempt of other people. They wanted genuine intimacy, but they could not get even normally near to anyone because they scorned to take the first steps. These two brothers, they wanted intimacy with other people, but because they thought they were better than other people, they were stuck and lonely, not in community with others. Or greed, all that discretionary shopping that we continue to do. The pandemic is turning us many times into greater consumers. And it's a quirk of our cultural moment when if anybody will say to another, I need to take some time to work on myself. When we can't say anything to that except that's awesome, you go do that. And there are many ways in which working on ourselves is a good thing, but aren't there some other ways when it's actually kind of selfish? Can you imagine telling somebody when you hear, I'm going to go work on myself, and you say back, have you thought about how that might be a little selfish? (laughs) No, things are going so much in the other direction. So that's pride, that's greed, Lust, like I said earlier, anything you want online, go and get it right now. But what does it deliver? I'm reading a book about people reading books by an author named Vivian Gornick, and she reflects on her experiences of a late 20th century person, early 21st, 
through the prism of reading, and she came of age soon after the sexual revolution, but said, for all of the sexual freedom that I experienced, I didn't get what I wanted out of it. She put it this way. Today, we all have long had experience of the sexual freedom once denied and have discovered firsthand that the making of a self from the inside out is not to be achieved through the senses alone. Sexual ecstasy does not deliver us to ourselves. And then the others too, envy. With the adulting 2020 Facebook series that we've been doing on our Facebook page here at Liberty Collingswood, for the couple of conversations, both me and Joe, and then also Eric and Brian, we've been talking about how social media accelerates this. We are so envious of what other people are able to experience right now. So that's some envy. How about some good old-fashioned gluttony? I could have this much, but why don't they take this much instead? I'm just going to let the belt go out a couple more notches, metaphorically, because I am bored, I am worn down, and I'm just going to do it. Wrath. We are so angry at people right now. Sloth. How many of you, and I fight this impulse myself, whether it was early on in the pandemic, over the summer with the pandemic, now with the pandemic, and as the season gets colder, you just want to hibernate. And you get more slothful and lethargic. Let's fight against these things. And let me just say, these are not just one-on-one individual sins. These are collective sins, too, not just person against person, people group against people group. Here's a thought experiment. Think about the slave trade, slavery in our country, and think about how each of these seven deadly sins, pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, sloth, they are all intertwined in this tragedy, in this evil. And so here we are in the year 2020, going back to a book written 2,000 about years ago, James chapter 1, and we find that James 1 has us dead to rights. We are tempted, we are lured, we are enticed, our desire gives birth to sin, and it brings forth death. As the Bible says, let God be true and all of us liars, we are addressed in our temptation and in our sin. But we're not stuck there. If that's an anatomy of temptation, let's talk about some strategies where constructively we can actually work through some of these things. On one hand, let's admit that what doesn't work doesn't work. Isn't that true? And so all of our self-management strategies or self-medication strategies, all of our excuses, including that wasn't me or I can't help it, those things aren't getting us very far. And don't trust yourself, too, to work on these things alone. It just doesn't work. And there have been studies done about willpower. You might think, okay, with my specific temptations, most of the time I'm fine. That's true. But temptation works, and we are so much more susceptible when we are worn down, when we're tired, when we're buffered down. We might think ourselves 100% immune to these temptations most of the time, but the script flips when we are worn down. We're back to giving in. We're back to hiding. We're back to those shell games. And we need Jesus A couple traditional theological categories are crucial as we fight temptation, namely justification and sanctification. Crucial categories here for the moment. Let me just talk super briefly about these theological terms. Justification. Jesus died on the cross, 
rose again so that all that come to him in faith may be accounted and seen as just, as accepted, as all clear, as righteous before God, not on the basis of anything that we have done, but all on the basis of what Jesus of Nazareth has done for us. Where if you believe in Jesus, God doesn't look and hold you to account for your own mess. He sees Jesus' perfection instead, so that we are given on one hand a name for our mess, but complete forgiveness on the other hand, and a new identity. As far as I see it, it's only in Jesus Christ where we can achieve an identity apart from any and all of our performance, where all of the good or bad we've done, God throws that out and says, accept my perfect son instead. No matter what we signal or don't signal, express or don't express, here is a gifted identity for you that is stable, that you can't mess up because Jesus' perfection is upon you. Let's build from there. It's only in Jesus, I believe, where we have the courage to look our temptation and falling to sin in the eye and say, neither, that wasn't me because it was, or I can't help it. That wasn't me, it was me, but Jesus loves me anyway and can take steps. And then also, for they can't help it, we turn to, to, to sanctification, the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans puts it in these terms. A couple of verses from Romans chapter 6. We were buried, therefore, with Christ by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So also you must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Its passions. If we believe in Jesus, we can't say, I can't help it. Because we have been given a new nature with new desires. We're always, even in heaven, going to be people that are creatures of desires where we say, I want, I want, I want, I want. But in Christ, we're able to have some new desires where we're able to complete the sentence and say, I want to honor and please God. I want to honor and please my fellow men and women, brothers and sisters in the church, outside of the church, all around me. I want to treat you with dignity and respect because God has given you that dignity and respect already. I want to leverage your interests and your stuff and your person above my own interests, my own stuff, and my own person. God gifts us this new nature and these new desires so that we can shake the habit of saying, I can't help it. In the first church that I pastored in West Philadelphia, one of my friends at church, who was in his mid-40s by the time I met him, came to Jesus in his early 30s. And he was somebody that struggled with a couple of big things. He struggled with a drug addiction and he struggled with a sex addiction. And part of his faith story is that he said, when I came to Jesus, God delivered me instantly, overnight, from my drug addiction. I was hardcore addicted to crack cocaine, but when I came to Jesus and believed in him, God uprooted that desire from me. I have never gone back to the drugs. I've never been tempted in that direction. But yet, I still struggle with the sex addiction. And God is still working with me on that one. But he said, God is good. 
And with the deliverance from the one addiction, he says, that, that proves to me and reminds me that all of this stuff that the church talks about, that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 6 for people that come to Jesus, that is true. God has given me a new nature. But then when I struggle with this other addiction in this other direction, and it's with me, and I hate it, but I succumb to it, it hasn't gone, and my heart still says, I want these things. I'm reminded in that direction that I still need to trust God. I still need more grace and need to work out my identity in Jesus Christ. So we need Jesus as a strategy to work on these temptations. And finally here, it's not just Jesus, but it's Jesus' people that we need to. We need Jesus' community. We need Jesus' church. James chapter 5. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. In the old version, that prayer availeth much. We need each other in community plus prayer to work on our temptations and to find healing. You see, Jesus crucified and resurrected gives us freedom to be able to confess wholly and fully to one another. No more half-truths. No more shell games. No more hiding. No more trying to say some things but not others. So you'll think a little bit better of me. We're able to say, this is my full mess. And we're able to help each other in these things too. Find a friend and confess whole truths to one another so that that friend can check in on you. Maybe small group is a good venue for, for you to do this. So that people can pray for you and remind you of the grace of Jesus. And so here's my challenge for you. Pick one of those seven deadly sins this week that you might be tempted by and struggling with. Pride, greed, lust, envy, gluttony, wrath, sloth. And grab a friend or two and say, hey, can you help me work on these things? To know the healing of Jesus. And in all of my years of a pastor going on 20 years now, I have never seen James 5.16 not come true. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. I have seen that verse not tried. I have seen that verse not followed through on. But for those that dedicate themselves to confessing sins and seeking to find healing in community by prayer, in my experience, God is batting a thousand there. What if, during this pandemic, instead of letting ourselves go a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more in our indulgences and in our temptations, by the grace of Jesus and by the help of one another, we are able to take steps towards greater wholeness and deeper holiness, becoming more like Jesus. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please go ahead now and turn to page four of that worship PDF. And as we respond to God's word, let us, in the words of this ancient formulary, the Apostles' Creed, say what we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, 
was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he arose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Once he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Eh, the odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.